Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I'm in Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 28. We are still on Tuesday of Passion Week. Jesus has spoken three parables against the religious leaders, saying that their kingdom is going to be taken away. He's answered the Pharisees and Herodians' questions about paying tribute tax money to Caesar, and he answered them in such a way that they could not answer him back. He did the same thing with the Sadducees when they questioned him about the resurrection of the dead. So here we are, Tuesday of Passion Week, in this great day of debate and controversy with the religious leaders of Jerusalem. In this audio, we're going to take up the question of what is the greatest commandment, and the next question we're going to take up is whose son is the Messiah? So let me read the first controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees, starting with Mark 12, verse 28, and going through verse 34. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. Who's debating now? This is Jesus and the Sadducees were debating over whose husband, this widow who had seven husbands during this life, whose husband would she have in the resurrection? Jesus had shut the the Sadducees up very well. Now this scribe, who we know is from the parallel passage in Matthew, is a Pharisee. So he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them, the Sadducees, well. He asked him, the scribe, the Pharisee, asked Jesus, which command is the most important of all? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. That's God the Father. And to love him, to love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. All right, first of all, let's talk about what a scribe is. Some scribes were Pharisees and some Pharisees were scribes, but not all scribes were Pharisees and not all Pharisees were scribes. The scribe is the person who is, uh, he was a teacher of the law. He was a notary. He was a secretary manuscript writer he was a that was a professional job that he had and the pharisees were a religious school of thought and most pharisees or many pharisees were scribes and many scribes were also pharisees but they didn't necessarily completely overlap in our parallel passage we see that this particular scribe was a pharisee and in fact we see that the pharisees actually had gotten together to put this scribe up to Jesus to to make so that the scribe could test Jesus. Let's read that, Matthew twenty two, thirty through four through forty. But the Pharisees, when they heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, gathered themselves together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. That lawyer is called a scribe by Mark and a lawyer by Matthew. Asking him a question, tempting him, tempting him or testing him, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? All right, so Matthew adds some details here. We see that this scribe is a Pharisee. He's also called a lawyer. Now, when we think of a lawyer, we think of somebody who takes an exorbitant fee to process some information with some papers, and somebody who has ESQ period at the end of his name, has he hangs his shingle out, and he is a hired gun for battle in the courtroom. 
But that was not what a scribe was. A lawyer, it means an expert in the law, somebody who knew the Mosaic law and also the oral tradition of the Pharisees. You notice that the scribe was testing him. King James says tempting. Testing is a better word. He's testing him. Now, that shows that he's trying to beat Jesus. However, we'll see that Jesus ends up saying that this scribe is not far from the kingdom of heaven. So it could be that the test was merely a just seeing how much Jesus the rabbi knew. He had just seen the Sadducees put to silence by Jesus, and he's thinking, wow, this guy really knows the law. Let's see how much more he knows. So in other words, it could have been an honest test, not a test in the sense like the devil tested Jesus in order to try to destroy him, but this guy might have just genuinely been curious about how much Jesus knew. Now, what was Jesus quoting? Jesus answered when asked the question, which command is the most important of all? He answered, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the so-called Shema, the famous Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. I quote it here. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was a direct quote from Deuteronomy 6.4. Now, Jesus goes on with Deuteronomy 6.5. Well, let's, let's stick with Deuteronomy 6.4 here. That quote, that Deuteronomy 6.4 came to be known as the Shema because Shema is the first word in Deuteronomy 6.4, which means listen. Shema is pretty famous. You hear it quoted a lot. I think the Jews were supposed to say it twice a day, if I remember correctly. So it's very, very famous. Now, this passage in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4, going down to verse 9, was the first of the sections which were put into their phylacteries, those wooden leather boxes that they strapped to their foreheads into their wrist. So this was a very famous portion of Scripture here that Jesus answered, used to answer the scribe, to answer the lawyer. So the first commandment was to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Now, those four words are a conflation of the Hebrew Scriptures as well as the LX, the Septuagint Greek translation because some manuscripts of the Septuagint have put mind in there so you got all four, heart, soul, strength, and mind, which tends to me to make it sound, seems to me like Jesus knew both of the Masoretic text and the Septuagint both, even though most of the time he quoted from the Septuagint. But anyway, it doesn't matter. All those terms, heart, soul, strength, and mind, I just say with all your guts, all your inner being. I, I, some people go to a lot of trouble to distinguish those words out. I finally decided that's a waste of time. So we're just going to say, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's the first commandment. Now, it's interesting that the scribe answered Jesus in Matthew, excuse me, in Mark, but the answer is not recorded in Matthew. Here's the scribe's answer. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, of a truth, master, thou as well said that he is one. And there is none other but he, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love his neighbors himself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, so Mark has something in it that, as John Gill points out, Matthew and Luke doesn't have, which argues against the idea that Mark has just taken the other two Gospels and abridging them. Now, here he's original here. Got, there's lots of places Mark has individual stories that the other two Gospels don't have. Now, the man, the scribe, gave a very nice answer to Jesus, and Jesus, in fact, told him, hey, you're not far from the kingdom of God. We can speculate that this man probably later on became a believer. I would suspect he did. I hope so. John Gill thinks he did. So that shows that even in the midst of your bitterest spiritual enemies, the elect, there's members of the elect scattered around, and they can come. I mean, after all, you might even find a Democrat one day that believes. 
despite the fact that all of his brethren are anti speaking antichrist stuff every chance they get and are engaged in a political war to obliterate Christianity from the public square in America. This scribe adds an interesting detail. He says that to love God is more important than sacrifices, burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's probably because they were in the temple and sacrifices and burnt offerings were being carried in to be sacrificed at the time they were talking. So that might have prompted his mind. He's saying, yeah, you know, but this is not what's important. Loving God is more important. You notice that Jesus took that right out of the law, the Old Testament. This is not the New Testament. This is not the book of Romans or Galatians talking about how, or Hebrews that talks about the law being done away with. This is right in the Old Testament, the book of the law. The law itself said that to love your Lord, your God, is more important than anything. And the scribe perceptively says, including burnt offerings and sacrifices, which are also in the law. Not that there was anything wrong with burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's just that they weren't the most important thing. All right, let's take up a few more details here. In Matthew, it says the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, talking about marriage in heaven. How did they hear? Maybe they overheard it. The argument that was going on in the courtyard, because Jesus is probably causing quite a stir, or maybe somebody just carried the word to him by word of mouth. We don't know. But at any rate, we know that Jesus by now had silenced the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees. He had just... he'd silenced every sect that there was in Israel. The Pharisees should have been happy that Jesus had just shut up the Sadducees because the Pharisees hated the Sadducees, but they weren't because their biggest target was Jesus. They they hated Jesus more than they hated the Sadducees. Now, this scribe asked Jesus, what is the greatest law? This reflects the Jews' love to distinguish greater and lesser laws. Here's some examples. They said that the first table of the law, the first four commandments, were greater than the second table, the last six commandments. The first table having to do with our duties to God, the second table having to do with our duties to man. Well, the first table is greater than the second table. The scribes and the lawyers and the Pharisees said that affirmative commands were greater than prohibitions in the law and in the oral tradition. The scribes and Pharisees said that ceremonial laws, often they said this, they were held to be greater than moral laws. Now, Jesus actually alluded to that in the next chapter of Matthew. In Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. So in other words, Jesus is saying, come on now, this ceremonial stuff, especially in the oral tradition, is not as important as faith, justice, and mercy. The Jews loved to distinguish heavy laws or great laws from light laws. They divided the law famously into 613 individual statutes, according to my NIV study Bible. Each one of those individual laws was characterized as heavy or light. This is a heavy law. This is a light law. This is a heavy law. Now, as to which one of the laws was the actual most important law, there was a division of opinion among the Pharisees. So when the scribe asked the question, he didn't know the answer because all the Pharisees were divided on the issue. Here's some examples of opinions which they held. Some Pharisees said the Sabbath was the greatest law. Some said the three feast days, the laws concerning the three feast days, Passover, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Booze, those were the greatest laws. Some of the Pharisees said that the law concerning circumcision was the greatest law. Some said that the the Old Testament law concerning phylacteries, well, actually, it's not in the law. It just says keep the law on your forehead, and the Jews took that literally. Some Pharisees said that 
Scripture was the most important in the law. Some people said the fringe on the garments that they were supposed to wear, that was, that's in the law, supposed to remind them of the law. That was the most important law. Some of them said, no, you can't choose one that's the greatest. They're all great. If you break one, you're guilty of them, of them all. So Jesus was going to make somebody mad no matter what he said. At least it's been argued that. My opinion is he's not going to make anybody mad because any, anybody listening to his answer is going to know that there's so much split of opinion on it that they'll just say, well, that's one more opinion. We're not going to get mad at him. It's not like the Sadducees. All of them believed in did not all of them did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. So you can, it's easy to make all the Sadducees mad all at once by proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. But you're not going to make all the Pharisees Pharisees mad all at once by stating what the most important command is and choosing a command that a particular Pharisee didn't think was the most important because there was so much split of opinion on it that it just you're not going to get a, a whole unified body of opposition to your choice. Now, notice that Jesus is not saying that all laws are of equal weight. I heard a great testimony, actually, the other day about a former lesbian who had given up her sinful lifestyle, and she was saying, just saying, I'm not saying that any law is greater than the other. I mean, lesbianism was bad, but there are other laws that are equally bad. They're all the same. No, they're not. They're all equal in one sense. They're equal in the sense that just a little white lie is going to get you into hell if it's not covered by the blood of Jesus just as fast as homosexuality or murder will. But on the other hand, what would you rather do? What would you rather do? Have your daughter be a lesbian or have your daughter shoplift some lipstick out of a dime store? I mean, would you rather would you rather your son get caught for robbing a bank or for speeding? Sure, some laws are more are stronger than the others. To say otherwise is absurd. We need to be a little bit more precise when we start saying all laws are equal. I mean, after all, Jesus in Matthew 23, verse 23, when he complained about the scribes and Pharisees paying a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Jesus right there recognized the distinction in the importance of the law, more important matters of the law. In fact, right here in this passage we're talking about, what's the most important of the law? Jesus said, here's number one, here's number two. So he said that some of the laws are more important than the others. So... Now, notice in this particular instance, this is one of the few times, if not the only time, I'm not sure, but it's one of the few times at least where there was an honest question, apparently an honest question asked of Jesus. And he didn't, he, he was constantly not answering straight. He's, when they said, tell us by what authority you do these things, and Jesus said, I'll tell you what, you tell me by what authority John the Baptist did those things, and I'll tell you. Well, we're not going to say, the Pharisees said, and so, and so Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you either. So it was, it was, that's a whole different atmosphere than when he talked to the scribe. The scribe asked an honest question, and Jesus gave him an honest answer, a straightforward answer. Now, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say concerning Jesus' way of operation here, quote, our Lord's answer is in a strain of respect very different from what he showed to cavillers. Ever observing his own direction, give not that which is holy to the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. In other words, this was not casting pearls before swine when Jesus answered the scribe. This guy was sincerely making an honest question, I think. He might have been sent to test Jesus, but I think he himself genuinely wanted, genuinely wanted to know what the answer was. All right, so Jesus said this is the first and greatest greatest and most important command to love you, Lord, Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. There are some options as, into what, as to what sense this was the greatest commandment. 
Well, it could be the greatest commandment because the object of the command is the greatest. The object is to love God. So this has the greatest purpose, to love God. That's option number one. Option number two, it's the greatest commandment because it's the foundation principle from which all other obligations follow. You love God first, and that's, going to, of course, going to make you love your neighbor, too, which is, which is commandment of second importance. It's the foundation principle. That's option number two. Foundation principle of all the other laws. The third possible reason why this command to love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is the greatest and most important command is because it has the highest dignity. Well, I don't know. That sounds kind of aesthetic. I'm not really sure what that means. It could be because it's the first in time. The first table of the law deals with love for God. The first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, to love your God and have no other gods before you, to worship Him alone. And so it's the greatest commandment because it comes before the last six commandments, which have to do with loving your fellow man. Adam Clark's got a great summary in ten points of the first commandment. Let me give them to you. In its antiquity, being as old as the world and engraven originally on our very nature. That's why to love God is the first of the first importance, because the, the command to love God is as old as the world. Number two, that command in dignity as directly and immediately proceeding front and referring to God, from and referring to God. So the command to love God with all our hearts comes from God and refers to God. It's number one in excellence, being the commandment of the new covenant and the very spirit of the divine adoption. It's number one in justice because it alone renders to God his due, prefers him before all things, and secures to him his proper rank in relation to them. It's the command to love your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is greatest, the greatest commandment in sufficiency. Being in itself capable of making men holy in this life and happy in the other life. It's number one in fruitfulness because it is the root of all commandments and is the fulfilling of the law. It's number one in virtue and efficacy because by this alone God reigns in the heart of man and man is united to God. This commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind is the greatest commandment in extent, leaving nothing to the creature, which it does not refer to the Creator. This command is greatest in necessity, being absolutely indispensable, and its greatest in duration, being ever to be continued on earth and never to be discontinued in heaven. That's an important command, to love our God with all of our strength. Matthew 22 39, well, both Mark and Matthew say this, the second is like the first commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You notice there's nothing wrong with loving your neighbor, excuse me, with loving yourself, but you've got to love your neighbor too just as much as yourself. Jesus had only two laws here, these two laws, love God, number one, love your neighbor, number two, two laws. How many laws did the Jews have? 613 of them, famous number. That's what legalism will do for you. It'll create, it'll create a multitudinous batch of laws that you got to keep up with what you're supposed to do and not do. Notice the second commandment springs from the first, loving your neighbor as yourself. People are not going to love their neighbor as themselves unless they love God first. Then God gives them love for the neighbor. Most human beings don't like each other in general, constantly getting in fights and lawsuits and Twitter battles and political battles. Here's some scriptures that refer to the same idea about these two great laws that Jesus spoke about. Paul says in Romans 13, verse 8, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. That's the second commandment of the greatest commandment. Jesus said to love one another, and Paul said, yeah, love one another. Bam, you're keeping the law. You're keeping all 
keeping most of those 613 commandments. Romans 13.10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. You want to keep the law? Love one another. Because we don't keep the Old Testament law now. We keep the law of Christ. But by keeping the law of Christ, which is love one another, you automatically fulfill any requirement the Mosaic law might have had toward looking out for your neighbor. This scripture, by the way, in Romans 13.10 is a good one for those who think the Old Testament law has no love. It only has judgment. You hear that all the time. But Paul says, no, love fulfills that Old Testament law. Love fulfills it. Love completes it, if you will. The Old Testament law is completed by love. Leviticus 19.18, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. There's another verse in the Old Testament that talks about love and not judgment. It's silly to put up these kind of false dichotomies, and not to mention the fact there's all kinds of verses in the New Testament that talks about judgment. How many times did Jesus talk about hell? How about the great white throne judgment? Come on. Notice that this verse about loving your neighbor as yourself, as I said, is in the law. And finally, we see in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus cites this principle again of loving your neighbor as yourself. Verse 25 in Luke 10. Just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life what is written in the law he jesus asked him how do you read it he answered love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself this is the good samaritan story neighbors didn't just refer to people in the israelite community it referred to people outside of israel matthew 22:40 says this all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands that's not in mark that's not in mark Mark just says there's no other commandment greater than those two commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor. But Matthew says on these two commandments, loving God first, loving your neighbor second, on those two commandments hang the whole law and the prophets. Now, first of all, law and prophets refers to the entire Old Testament, as the NIV Study Bible says. That's just a shorthand way of saying the law and the prophets means the Hebrew Bible. It doesn't mean just the law and the prophets out of the Hebrew Bible. It refers to also the the uh, poetry part, the, the writings part of it too, the law and the prophets and the writings. And when it says all the law and the prophets depend, that's not meant to be taken literally, as John Gill says, because a lot of the promises and the and a lot of the history, a lot of the poetry and so forth in the Old Testament not directly related to, to those two commands, but it means all the scriptures that concern duty, duty to God and duty to one another. It's extremely important if you just look at the law that way, look at life that way, loving God first, loving your neighbor second, you cannot go wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I have finished with these two incidents in Mark. Actually, I have finished with only one incident in Mark. I now am going to take up Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 37, when Jesus asked, who, whose son is the Messiah? All right, so we'll take up three more verses in Mark 12 and shut it down for this audio. Mark 12, verses 35 through 37. So Jesus asked this question as he taught in the temple complex. How can these scribes say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself says by the Holy Spirit, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How can the Messiah be his son? And the large crowd was listening to him with delight. We'll start out by saying that Mark records a detail that's kind of interesting. said the common people heard him gladly, or the Holman Christian Study Bible has it this way, the large crowd was listening to him with delight. 
They love seeing Jesus spar with the religious authorities and beat them over and over again. Well, the crowds are happy now. This is Tuesday. Friday, they're going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Why did they change? Maybe when they saw their hoped-for Messiah all beaten up and hanging on a cross, it changed their attitudes. Maybe they were disappointed in Jesus because he didn't deliver them from the Romans and create a worldwide kingdom with them in charge. Maybe that was it. Or maybe this was some of the crowd that was listening to Jesus with the delight, and they stayed with him even through his crucifixion. And some of the other people in the crowd were those suborned by the religious authorities to scream, we want Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucify him, crucify him. I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted about exactly how that large crowd could turn against Jesus so fast. It could be because they had the wrong idea, and when he got nailed up on the cross and got whipped and scourged and mocked by the Romans, that might have done it for them, and they so they turned on him. But at any rate, let's now look at this last teaching that Jesus gave. This is the last public disputation that Jesus gave before he died. The rest of the time, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had nothing more to do with him. They just got together to try to figure out how they could arrest him and kill him, and Judas Turn the trick for him, Judas Iscariot. All right, so here's what Jesus says. He says, "Look, I'm going to go. I'm going to give Matthew's version of this, by the way, because it shows in Matthew uh, Jesus questioning the disciples a little bit fuller than Mark and Luke. The parallels in Mark and Luke. Matthew 22 verse 41 says this. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Now, notice before the Pharisees were questioning Jesus and putting him on the spot. Now, Jesus has gotten real aggressive here. He's turned around and gone after the Pharisees, put them on the spot, saying, what do you think of the Christ? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? Now, the answer that Jesus was expecting and the question that the Pharisees gave immediately was David's, because son of David was a common messianic term that everybody knew about. We read, for example, in John 7, verse 41 through 42, when the crowd was speculating about who Jesus was. Others said, this is the Messiah, but some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Where Jesus was. Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem, where David once lived, from David's offspring? The Messiah was the son of David, and everybody knew it, both the popular common people as well as the learned scribes. So Jesus got the answer he wanted. And he had them in their trap, because then he after they gave the commonly received and correct idea that the Messiah was the son of David, then Jesus then says, well, uh, if that's so, in verse Matthew 22, verse 43, he asked them, how is it then that David, inspired by the Spirit, notice that David was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so when he wrote Psalm 110, verse 1, where this quote comes from, he's writing as if God were writing, David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord, and then Jesus quotes Psalm 110.1. The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now, if you go to Psalm 110.1, that verse distinguishes the two lords. This is the declaration of the Lord in all caps in the Holman Christian Study Bible. This is the declaration of the all caps Lord to my lowercase caps, lowercase Lord, uppercase Lord to my lowercase Lord. The uppercase Lord is Yahweh. This is the declaration of Yahweh to Adonai, which is a more general term for Lord. But that second Lord, the lowercase Lord, in Psalm 110.1, all the Pharisees knew that referred to the Messiah. Adam Clark says the, the fact that they didn't object to Jesus' interpretation of that, that was just assumed, shows that they knew that that 
referred to the Messiah. So what Jesus is saying is, this is the declaration of God the Father. This is this is David saying this. This is the declaration of God the Father to my Lord the Messiah. So David is calling his Lord, Adonai, the Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so then Jesus quotes that. Now, in the English translations, the Lords are all in lowercase. They're not one. It doesn't have the uppercase Lord Yahweh saying to the lowercase Lord Adonai. In the Greek is kurios, two forms of kurios. The Greek word, the first Lord is kurios, and the second Lord is kurios. It's the same thing. So the distinction is not there, but it was understood when he quoted that psalm. It's not reported to us in the Greek, but when Jesus was talking, they understood when when the when the Pharisees understood that when Jesus quotes that verse and says, "The Lord declared to my Lord," it's the Lord God the Father declared to my Lord the Messiah. They that the Pharisees knew that Jesus was quoting David as saying this, "The Lord my Father declared to my Lord the Messiah, sit at my right hand." And so then, here's the trap. The Pharisees, now, they could say, well, the reason that the Messiah is the son of David is because that he's descended from David. Well, that would be bad from their point of view because Jesus was the son of David. I guess Jesus could point that out to them. Well, I'm the Messiah, I'm the son of David. But at an even more fundamental level than that, they couldn't say that that the Lord was a descendant of David, because logically that makes no sense. You don't call your descendants Lord. And so that option was foreclosed to them. They couldn't say that that Lord was a human being, a human Messiah, simply for the logical fact that David would never call his descendant a Lord, because you don't call your descendants Lord. If So if they said that the Messiah was the son of David, they're in a mess. Then if they say that David had a had a Lord, a, a supernatural Messiah that, that preceded him, well, then they will have to admit that Jesus is the Messiah because, that, because, the, because the Messiah was divine. They couldn't do that because they didn't believe the Messiah was divine. They believed that the Messiah was a human person. So they could only see David in the, in the human aspect as descended they could only see Jesus, excuse me, they could only see the Messiah in the human aspect as descended from David. And, of course, that put them right at Jesus where he was, so they didn't want to do that. And besides, it would make no logical sense to do that for the reason I just said. A Lord is not a descendant. But then on the other hand, if they said that David was calling his Lord, the Messiah, Lord, well, then that means that David thought the Messiah was a supernatural divine being. And they didn't want to admit that either because they, in their theology, they thought the Messiah was not a divine being but a military hero. So Jesus, once again, has them trapped, has them shut up, and they don't know what to say. And in fact, verse 46 in Matthew 22 says this, No one was able to answer him at all, and from that day no one dared to question him anymore. That was it. He'd whipped them one last time. When Jesus said, If David calls him Lord... How then can the Messiah be his son? Because you don't call your descendants Lord. I don't call my grandkids Lord. That makes no sense. So let's just put this, this controversy in a very simple nutshell. The Messiah was David's ancestor in his divine person, his divine nature, excuse me, and he was David's descendant in his human nature. 
And like I said, the, the Pharisees were stuck either way. If they said, well, if we're going to look at the human nature of the Messiah, the Messiah is David's son, descendant, humanly speaking, well, then Jesus is standing right there. He could say, well, I'm, I'm the descendant of David. But if they wanted to go to the other route and say, well, that when G, David calls the Messiah Lord, that must mean that the Messiah is a supernatural being. Well, that messes them up, too, because they didn't want to admit that the Messiah was a supernatural being. So he had them completely flummoxed. So the Pharisees had three choices. <laughs> they, they had three choices. A, they could admit that the Messiah was supernatural in God and therefore implicitly admit that Jesus might be the Messiah because Jesus had been doing a lot of divine messianic-type miracles. That was their first choice. The second choice, they could confess their ignorance and say, I don't know. Then they would look stupid in front of their onlookers. The third choice they had was they could remain silent, which is the option they took. They really had no way to explain how David could call his descendant Lord, because people don't call their descendants Lord. So those were the three options. So they just remained silent and looked stupid. So now Jesus, on Tuesday, has finished shutting up the Herodians, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Now, next audio, we'll take up a few more details at the end of Mark 12. He was not finished that Tuesday. He was finished debating. But there was a few more things we'll take up next audio. Hope you enjoyed this one.